the magic button. All right, great. So we're here uh, with Scott Reynolds, who I used to work with back. Yes. I don't know, five, five the, years ago, six years ago. Was it that long ago? That's uh, that's very scary. Yeah. Now that now that you you say it out loud. Some of, some of our fondest, my fond, fondest memories, at least. Um, yeah. So we used to work together in in digital, and Scott's agreed to come on and chat today about video. He works uh, at Point Roll. We'll talk a little bit about you first, and we'll talk about video, and then we'll talk about this week in ad tech. So okay. if you uh, are joining now or you're watching this replay, there's a link that you can click, and that will take you to our blog, which has a bunch of articles we put out every week. And then once a week, we go through and we read some of them or make fun of Yahoo ads or Gemini or uh, ask, does anyone use Pinterest uh, and other great questions like that. So uh, while we get started, I guess, Scott, maybe you can, um, well, first I have to read what's behind you, small uh, updates. So there's something very important on the whiteboard behind you. It uh, can't be too important. I'm sitting in an office that has since been abandoned for about two weeks. So I was going to say our whiteboard looks far more impressive than yours. Yeah, this is an unused office. Um, so you're a point role, but I mean, talk a little bit about how you originally got into digital before point role and kind of uh, your story into the PPC. World. Oh, all right. Well, uh, I'll try and go way back, but not take it uh, out too long. Um, back, in, you know, when I graduated college, I, I, I tried the, uh, the finance thing for a while and found that very unfulfilling. We're in the suit to work every day. It was in the midst of the uh, dot com boom. Um, and ended up uh, connecting with it with an old coach of mine who was uh, working at a company called GSI Commerce, if you recall them. Uh, form of, yeah, I think, I think now formerly known as uh, eBay Enterprise. Uh, well, actually, let's let's stop there for a second. Mm -hmm. So GSI Commerce was a big e-commerce agency, right? Yes. They did like Toys R Us and eBay, and but they started doing fulfillment, right? Or something. Yeah, the way that it, the original business model was really almost like a licensing of, of brands. Uh, it was originally targeted at uh, sports. It, the, the name actually, when I joined, was called Global Sports Interactive, thus the GSI. That's where that came from. Uh, and it was targeted at sports brands like uh, the Sports Authority. Uh, I didn't think I don't think they had Dick's at that time, Dick's Sporting Goods. Um, but Sports Authority, GI Joe's, Hold on. West Coast. what's that? <laughs> yeah. For people who don't know Dick's Sporting Goods, uh, it's funny when someone says, uh, I don't know if they had Dick's at the time. <laughs> it's like a very, um, Con you know, Context is important there. Yes. Right. So uh, they did not have Dick's at the time, but now they have Dick's, which is okay. DSG. Cool. It's probably the safer way to say it, Dick's Sporting Goods, uh, the complete name. Um, right. All right. Sorry. Continue. No, uh, good call. Um, I would have kept going through that, not even realizing it. Uh, it became second nature back then. Um, so GI Joe's out on the West Coast, uh, the Sports Chalet, some of these smaller brands. And then ultimately, uh, once they realized that it was all of e-commerce that they could handle, uh, they, they kind of got rid of the uh, global sports name and, and, and brought it down to GSI, a much more vague uh, description of the business and tried to bring on any types of verticals and, and, uh, and companies. So yeah, what they originally did was they actually did uh, buy uh, direct from the manufacturers and an inventory and fulfill all of the same products uh, and the same assortment of products that these retailers would in their stores. Actually, some of my some of my first tasks were uh, coordinating uh, uh, the circular and the um, you know the weekly flyer and the um, 
in the newspaper yeah. and coordinating. Cool. Yes, exactly. Matching up a, an item number in the print version and an item number in the search results for the site itself. Wow. So that when people punched it in, they got the right product. Um, and, and I know, so I know the future of this story and then you move to yellow pages. So that was a big step up in the technology landscape. <laughs> it's funny. It, it, uh, it almost went backwards there for a little while, but the, the, the whole idea was to, uh, take some, take some, uh, fading uh, business models and, and and renew them with some fresh thinking and fresh technology, right? I mean, that's that's what you and I did together there and introduced a lot of ideas that were really scary to a lot of the teams that we worked with. And uh, once everybody bought in and, and, and we could show the numbers behind the work that we wanted to do, it was pretty well accepted. Um, I agree. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about GSI though, because I know you have a good story. I think it's GSI and the, the Toys R Us issue of um, hmm. fulfillment. Um, well, I know the story. This is okay. totally made up. So GSI, um, like you were saying, used to do the full fulfillment for like sporting goods stores. Yeah. And then they became like the back end for retailers. So yeah. folks, I'm pretty sure it's Toys R Us. Yeah, they're really bad at doing fulfillment. So what Amazon got really good at and, and Walmart and Target, yep. most traditional retailers sucked at. So uh, GSI would be like, hey, you know, we'll basically run your website do pricing, ship your products, mm -hmm. and just send you a check. That's exactly yeah. it. Yep. And a lot of folks like that. Fairly small uh, check, yeah, too. Especially, and, but every, <laughs> but everybody won because they didn't have to put the uh, investment into the infrastructure, which at the time was insanely expensive. But obviously, right. over the course of time, that investment went down and down and down. The genius to a lot of the the GSI partnerships was they signed fifteen to twenty plus year partnership agreements. Holy yes, cow. that that's where they really made out. Like so, the Sports Authority, I think they re-upped their contract for twenty years in the year two thousand or two thousand one. So right. uh, that was where Michael Rubin was really shrewd and 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 knew that the technology was going to grow so fast that these folks would be able to probably do it on their own uh, for you know a lot less money than they were expecting, but uh, locked them down for a long long term deal. Well, the, the stories that uh, Toys R Us tried to do it themselves, um, yes. and then before the holiday in 2000-something or other, uh, like, they just, everything went down. The website went down, shipping couldn't keep up with the orders, yep. they missed delivery on all the, the kids' Christmas presents, their stock tanked, yes. and that's really when they went kind of wholeheartedly into... Uh, like using GSI Yep. Yeah, I think that was when the, the, the reality came about when, I, you know, online ordering, just the adoption rate went through the roof uh, at that time. It was probably around 04, 05-ish, I think, that that story happened. That was uh, after my time there. I think I left in 2003. But, uh, but yeah, the, that story had a lot of legs and made its way around. And I think, that's, I think that drove a lot of business for them following that uh, – I guess recovery that they made for Toys R Us the following year. Right. Ah, all right. So those are your GSI commerce days. You're doing a ton of e-commerce stuff, or well, I don't know if you count as e-commerce taking barcodes off of circulars. And well, it, matching <laughs> inventory. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a lot of e-commerce stuff. You know, promotions, daily promotions, updates, things like that. With with sports, a lot of the promotional stuff was real time. So uh, that that introduced a lot of. Uh, interesting insight advertising call it that um where we had to react in real time and, and post a lot of the you know whoever the winner was that's when that banner had to go up throughout the site and uh, all things had to be tracked and 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 you know it sounds really really simple now in 2015 but 
back in uh, 2000 when wireless was was really uh, in its early stages, it was tough to get access. You know, at the end of the Super Bowl, wherever you were, you know, as a as an early 20 something year old person. Which is a good plug for, uh, so this week in EdTech, we did have an article about the Super Bowl. I don't know if you saw that. Okay. Um, the ad, so uh, I have it written down somewhere, but I think it's more people saw ads online than saw them on television for the first time ever for the Super Bowl. So, I believe that easily. Yeah. yeah, so more people are watching the Super Bowl, uh, well, at least the ads for the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we can extend that uh, online than in person. Uh, and I thought I had another good tidbit that I remember reading from the Super Bowl. Oh, 30%. Oh, well, so this is a random comment. So I'm okay. skipping ahead to Sure. So 51% so of people who watched the Super Bowl ad watched it online. And that How, what percent was that, Paul? I'm sorry, what percentage? 51. 51. Watched it online? Yeah. This past Super Bowl. All right. Wow. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's only online. Yeah, exclusively online. That's impressive. So, um, and then the other thing was that, you know, they tracked the performance of those video ads over time, mm -hmm. the Super Bowl ads. And, and this is uh, an article on marketing land, I should say. Okay. Uh, and 30% of the YouTube shares and 70% of the Facebook video shares all happened in two weeks. So obviously you got a big spike sure. and then, you know, long tail. And if you, if you actually look at the curve of the views, you see YouTube is kind of like a, a bit of a longer run because things kind of stick around on YouTube for a while. Yep. But Facebook was like a giant spike, and then two weeks later, pretty much nothing. Uh, but I think it's a good rule to generalize if you're trying to create content for video. Mm -hmm. um, two weeks is like a realistic flight time for your video. So if you're, you know, an agency or you're trying to get video content queued up, yep. probably a little thumb of like, okay, I need a new video every two weeks to keep it somewhat fresh. Yes, it sounds about right. Yeah. Um, and speaking of Super Bowl, I watched the Giants game. Uh, I get I use NFL Pass. Uh, I think it's called NFL Play. It's the, the rewind service. You can like watch the game. Okay. Uh, so you don't have to watch it live and skip all the commercials. So I, I'm not going to um, spoil anything if I uh, talk about it. Or? No, but it was terrible. Man, the Giants I, were just atrocious. Yes. Dallas was atrocious too. It was a horrible game. There's like four drives between both teams that yes. were entertaining to watch. Two by each team, and the rest of the game was just like, uh, like frighteningly bad. Agreed. Especially not being a fan of either team, it was difficult to watch, even just as a regular football fan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at some point in the fourth quarter, I was like, "This is like molasses." It was just so slow and unexciting. And then uh, Dallas scored two touchdowns and won the game. What just happened? Okay, anyway, so back to you. Uh, okay. and one thing, I have to plug in my laptop before the battery dies. Sure. If you could turn me down on your speaker turn. or something. I'm hearing my echo a little bit. Uh, I, uh, I only hear you I'm through my earphones. Okay. My earplugs. Well, earphones, is that even a, a term anymore? Earphones? Yeah, I know that's like an old word, <laughs> old guy. Through your earphones from a telephone? Um, Okay, well, we'll figure it out. I'm just going to plug my laptop in before okay. it dies. But you tell us after GSI Commerce where you were. All right. So uh, after GSI Commerce, uh, an opportunity. Should I wait for you to back, Paul? Can you hear me? All 
All right, and you're back. I didn't want you to miss out on all this uh, outstanding content that I'm about to give you here. Okay. All right, uh, good. So uh, <laughs> uh, after my time at GSI, actually, an opportunity came up down the road with another friend, uh, and I got the, the amazing experience with working with a, uh, an apparel brand called Lily Pulitzer. If there's any uh, ladies in the audience, that's, that's the primary audience um, for those clothes, and it was a really cool uh, adventure there in that, uh, when I started there, um, they had a, a homepage, and that was it. And the way that their business model was set up is they're, uh, you know, simply a wholesaler, and they retailed to their, um, uh, essentially their friend. I, I wouldn't call it a franchisee, but exclusive signature stores is what they call them. Uh, essentially, they sell ninety-five percent Lily Pulitzer branded product, and uh, I got to work with all of those stores and see how that whole business worked and uh, was essentially charged with anything uh, related to digital communications and, and inventory and ordering and things like that, uh, a lot of IT stuff. But then we also got into um, actual uh, marketing. At, and I, and I, when I say marketing, I mean like marketing, marketing, like videos and commercials and things like that. So I got to do some cool things as it pertains to photography and videography and, and putting videos together for them for their sales conventions and things like that. So it was a cool job in that, uh, I kind of felt like the, uh, the AV guy in high school, you know, the, the one, like, Hey, you know how to do this. Like, come on over here. Let's give it a shot and, and learned a lot of cool new stuff. And then all the while, um, grew that website into something that was really representative of the line and helped, uh, sell, uh, the, the retail merchandise at the, at the retail locations. Since then, they've actually, my, my, my big uh, goal at the time was to get them to be selling online, like any traditional national brand. Uh, was growing into at that point. I guess this is around 2006 or so, and uh, and it was the the way that the business model was working at the time. Um, you know, selling direct cons to consumer by the wholesaler was was uh, a, a scary proposition to a lot of those signature stores. So they kind of held off to maintain those relationships. Um, yeah. Since then, they they've they've developed their own retail stores and sell direct through the retail stores and sell direct on their on their website. Um, which is great for them. Uh, great group of people over there. I loved working there. It was uh, it was a really good experience. Saw a lot of the uh, the business behind the uh, e-commerce world and, and and what thought process went into trying to figure out the best way to do things. Are they a West Coast brand too? Are they primarily East Coast or are they like nationwide? The headquarters are in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. Believe it or not. Um, but they sell well. Obviously, they sell for everywhere on their website. But do they have retail out out here in the Great West? Sure. Yeah, there's signature stores all over the country. I think they're, uh, uh, what were the numbers? I mean, this is almost 10 years ago now uh, that I'm thinking back to the numbers, but there's, <laughs> if, if the chances are, if you're in a uh, resort town, uh, a really, really nice resort town, there's going to be yeah. a, uh, a Lily Pulitzer store in the relatively yeah. uh, close vicinity. Well, I always picture really wealthy people in like New England wearing it. So that's, or like people sailing in like Maryland. So yeah. that's why I wondered if it, it translated over. Even more so in the South and the West, I think. It's much more tropical than uh, Northeast. Oh, really? A lot less lobster, a lot more, um, you know, right. dolphin. The same people that own that, own the embroidered lobster pants. It, it, in fact, a lot of the uh, the target demographic is the snowbirds that live in the Northeast and go to Florida for the for the winter. Um, so you learned a lot about Lily Pulitzer about how to target snowbirds. Sure. And, then, uh, <laughs> and then you did more, then you started moving into the product stuff, right? Yeah. Then, I mean, we went to, uh, 
you know, I had a, a stint with an agency that there was a, uh, a very similar uh, experience to that of GSI, but just on a smaller scale. We worked on a lot of the same type of e-commerce projects, uh, soup to nuts, platform delivery for, for these uh, smaller brands. And, uh, and that was a great experience to work seeing, you know, not necessarily the approach that these big national uh, brands that have anchor stores and malls have, but yet smaller brands that are really well known and sell nationally. Um, Oneida uh, Silverware was one of our clients. It's a good idea of the, the type of the customers we had there. Um, Which is, it's always funny uh, talking about brands that don't sound exciting on the surface. And they like, do really so well. Aware. Yeah, and I mean, you think they have huge marketing teams. I always think of like a CPG, uh, consumer packaged goods products like yep. Hostess or um, Wonder Bread or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they have giant marketing teams that yeah. are like, you know, how do we make this bread package really pop? Yep. Uh, I interviewed for a job at a publisher, a book publisher, Random House. Okay. Uh, because it, like just ran, I had a friend that was like doing stuff there and it's like, man, we need like a digital guy. So can you come interview to be like VP of digital or something? Nice. And then in marketing. So I show up and I'm like, I was there for a conference. So I was like, I'll come talk to the person, but you know, probably mm-hmm. not going to work for me. Um, so I go into this like big book publishing company that's like huge building in uh, Manhattan. Okay. Uh, and the first question is like, you know, how do you think about hardcover books for softcover books? <laughs> I don't at all. And then there was like about cover art. And then I was like, wow, this is just not the job. Uh, and like, we I pretty much stopped there. I was like, look, if that's a conversation I want to have, like, you know, uh, that's not my aspirations is to learn that stuff. Uh, and I, you know, I started talking about leaving digital interactions within the story of the character and like, you know, integrations with like video games and yeah. online properties. And she was just staring at me like, uh, Blue or gray? <laughs> the blue cover or the gray cover? Yeah. Uh, anyway, but then the same thing. So I'm like, wow, there's a whole group of people. And this was a big marketing team that just like think about okay. the cover art for the book. Right? In digital, we crank out like a thousand ads a month. And then yeah. people like. Well, yeah, it, weeks uh, of, and or months would go into one piece of creative, right? Right. And like, and they also, you know, I don't know. Uh, so I tell I told my friend the story. He's like, "Yeah, the covers make the difference." So uh, they tested it, I guess. Sure. Oh, then again, traditional media. No one tests anything in traditional media. Uh, okay, so let's wrap up your background. You're probably getting bored of me by now. Probably. I'm not that interesting. No, it's a good journey through digital. This is like a, a good uh, example of someone who's been through the digital up and down. Yep. So, All so, so, so then we worked together and, and got to work on on a, a straight up uh, search product with with Yellow Book, right? And that and that taught us uh, not just the importance of online marketing in general, specific to search and how measurable it was. And I'm gonna I'll I'll try and weave the narrative that we talked about earlier into this. And um, essentially, like we learned so much not just from um, each other and our teams, but, you know, we were kind of dictated a little bit how to think by the, uh, the, the world of Google, right? I mean, they kind of made a decision and that decision reverberated throughout our industry and we had to react to it. And then we got to work with some really good teams to make sure that we reacted the right way and, and interpreted the changes the right ways that would be in the best interest of our customer. And then ultimately um, we could do good work and grow our sales based on that good work. 
Um, well, it's a very nice and general way of saying it. I mean, we were at a dying yellow page company that had $2 billion in revenue. Correct. It was a giant company. They just acquired yellow pages, Spain, Pajina Samarias in Madrid mm-hmm. for like a billion dollars. Worst timing ever. They like bought yes. a yellow page company in like 2000, I don't know, four or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then they got all this debt and then like the yellow pages collapsed and the internet came up. So Scott and I's job is to somehow figure out how to take 5,000 salespeople who used to walk into, you know, doctors and plumbers and lawyers and sell them ads in a phone book and convince them to buy websites and paid search. Yes. That's a much so more succinct way of putting it. Yeah. It, well, I, it was really interesting because it really felt like, you know, building a digital business. Yes. And we had a lot of assets that most people didn't have because we had, you know, 5,000 salespeople, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, thousands of employees. Uh, so it was fun. We got to play around with a lot of different ideas. And the end, I think, $100 million product plus. Yeah, and I think I uh, it was 80. Definitely. This is where you can pat yourself on the back, Paul. I mean, this is the story that I tell all the time to, to just try and articulate how successful these teams were that we got to work with. Um, I mean, as you know, the people that we worked with there were amazing. Some of the developers were just, they were the, the, the quintessential developer that not only understood how to get things done, but understood the business behind it and could help you think through the next two or three steps that, we, that they could actually see coming as well. And, you get, and we could really work together um, to find the best solution and the best way to roll that out to all of those salespeople. But yeah. here, here's some stats that you may or may not remember that, that this is probably this I don't is, remember much. Let's uh, pump up Paul's ego time. Um, but really, uh, when did I start? Okay. But, okay. <laughs> it was uh, what, 2008, right, Paul? And, and, and the, uh, the platform was purchased from a company in Bulgaria, I believe. Right. And, uh, and, and, you know, call it, was it really 5,000 sales reps? Call it four. I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe it was five when you started, but it was about four when I started. Either way, for, for math's sake and for context's sake. Um, it was about five million of revenue uh, with 4,000 sales reps. And that was in 2008 when the economy was really struggling. The company was really, really struggling. All these things together. Um, investment in our product was essentially getting cut in half every year. Um, but during that timeline from 2008, through 2013, all the way through 2013, it went from $5 million and 4,000 sales reps and, you know, a budget of X to um, $110, $120 million with 1,500 to 2,000 sales reps and a budget of one-fifth of X. So I think that's pretty impressive uh, and something you could kind of keep in your back pocket. If you ever need to talk Thank about you, product. internet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the, the, between the, uh, the sales reps that we did have uh, that really pushed the product, the operations team, which is amazing, they, they, they took what they had to work with and, and made all the customers happy one way or another. And, um, and then, like I mentioned, the development team that was always kind of one step ahead of the technology, which I still have yet to see a team so in touch with the business and the stakeholders that drive that business, i.e. Google and, and Yahoo and Bing at the time, um, they're just really, really good at the jobs and it, and it helped us uh, present a really yeah. nice product. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I feel like the two commentators in the football game that talk about like, you know, when we were playing <laughs> through 87. <laughs> True. Um, but um, th- so I've, 
after I worked with you, I went to a company called Kenshu, where I, yes. I worked on a platform that pretty much all the newspaper, yellow page, media, local uh, cable folks, anyone who's trying to do the same thing we did in 2006, they're trying to replicate. So we built a platform that like, you know, those types could use. And I met, you know, I don't know, 500 different companies that were all trying to do the same thing. And it's amazing. Yes. yes. Like how, how ahead of the curve we were, even though it felt like we weren't at the time. Um, and the other thing is like our operations team really um, that built these campaigns that built like, I don't remember, 500, 700 campaigns a month. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of mind blowing. You know, I talked to, so now I talk to a lot more agencies. So at AdStage we work with like true marketers that okay. kind of know paid search and they know keywords and they know so, uh, no social. Yeah. So the marketers we work with are like, you know, marketers, they understand the stuff. They, yeah. I like it, I'm out on it. So when they use a product, it's like, oh, I already know how Facebook works. Show me how I can use you know, indoor targeting or, you know, show me how I can use rules on Twitter. So um, that's hard enough. And people don't appreciate how difficult it is to try to like build stuff that's going to be used sure. by a plumber, right? It's like never even use the internet. <laughs> and it's like, mm -hmm. you know, you're trying to sell and build a search campaign for somebody who doesn't know what a keyword is. It's a really hard client. Uh, relationship to manage so the team that did that was phenomenal they still are i think a lot of them are still there mm -hmm. yeah we actually uh we we've had a few conversations with kenshi in the past i think we've talked about uh doing business at one point or another and and, and i was going to say the probably the most difficult part of that business is trying to articulate the value that you're bringing to the table and and and, and let them understand like why they want to do it and and what problems it'll solve for them right yeah it's tough smb is tough i mean at that stage that's why yeah, big part of I think our success has been focusing on the marketer rather than the small business. Um, so we do have some small businesses who are savvy mm -hmm. because they want to you know, manage five networks or they're they're big on Twitter or LinkedIn. So we have like a, a very deep LinkedIn integration. So if they're big LinkedIn advertisers, they might be a one man shop, but they're willing to put in the time to like learn marketing. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I banged my head against the wall trying to get the plumber to run a search campaign for like, I don't know, over a decade. And then I came to the conclusion that you probably shouldn't. It's like teaching someone to do like their taxes, mm -hmm. you know, just hire an accountant. Like if you run a small business, don't do your taxes. It'll take you hours to learn all that stuff and you'll probably make mistakes and it, it, you'll regret it. It's so right along I, the same lines as uh, hiring a plumber. You know, you don't try right. to fix the toilet yourself. Just hire somebody that does it every day and does it really right. efficiently and does it well. And it'll probably end up costing you less. And in this day and age, you can argue marketing is the most important piece of your organization, right? I mean, this, the role of a salesperson is still important, but not as much as it used to be, where you have to walk in a door and shake a hand and, right. and do all that. I mean, now the whole conversation, most of the conversation is online, even for plumbers now. I mean, with, you know, Angie's List and Service Magic, et cetera. So if you, like, not only are you doing your own plumbing, but it's like the most important thing. Right. <laughs> it's like... Uh, the most important thing you can do for your business and you're not very good at it and you're going to try to just figure it out. So. Yep. And if anything, I think we've probably also seen that the, the combination of marketing allows you to have better margins. If that, if this makes any sense and I'm thinking back to the, the, the meetings that we always have, you know, talking to these SMBs about like what difference does it make for them and their customers and, and what can they do better? And if you present a better product or service, people are much more comfortable knowingly paying more for it, knowing that, you know, you took the care to, to frame it in a way that, that really makes them feel good about buying from you. Right. Um, cool. So that was a very, I think, entertaining walk down 
memory, memory lane. lane. Mm. Yeah. Um, so then video. Yeah. So then you landed a point role. Yes. Who I don't think everybody knows. Are they also an eBay company? Are they required or well, uh, tell us about point roll. So point roll actually we just rebranded to Cofactor is the is the new name. Um, it's a co yes. It's uh, it's a combination of uh, point roll and shop local. So another uh, name from the past that you're probably very familiar with. Um, yeah. uh, both of those companies. Now this is this is kind of this will get a little convoluted. It'll sound like, uh, but essentially both companies were at one point acquired by Gannett. Might know Gannett through USA Today and and TV stations and other media stations throughout the uh, media companies throughout the country. Um, and then so recently, Gannett spun off a division called Tegna. Right, so there's Tegna, which included, which was essentially an umbrella organization for Geo Digital, also familiar in the SMB space, um, Shop Local, uh, Point Roll, and a few other properties. Uh, Cars.com is included in that as well. So a lot of really cool. Um, I'm not using the word the S word uh, synergy, but a lot of ways that those companies can play off of each other and and, and really leverage the assets and the um, and the expertise that they have to, to bring different elements to everyone else's company within that, within that organization. So as we all existed under the umbrella of Tegna, then we recently co-branded to Cofactor and that's primarily the connection of shop local and uh, point roll. So Tegna. Tegna. Was Tegna an existing name or did they make it up? I think they made it up. Because it kind of sounds like an old Nintendo game with like the evil corporation Technica or something? Tegn uh, no, it's just a generic, like, evil-sounding name. Like Tegna, gotcha. You know? Right. They're from Technicorp. Oh, my God. Hide the yep. robots. There's a few uh, uh, alternate spellings and, and pronunciations that if you Google, it's not it's not a good search result. But um, I, I like <laughs> um, Well, like every corporate rebranding, it, you know, it will get mocked no matter what happens. Yes, you, <laughs> you, you can't win. Every good idea yeah, has, has perhaps. One of the worst ones, we were at a company called Yell. Let's just call it Yell. Mm -hmm. uh, Y-E-L-L. -L. It was like Yellow Book, Yellow Pages, Yell. Kind of made sense. It was an old British company, former British telecom, called Yell for like 50 years. Mm -hmm. And then they rebranded it to Hibu, H-I-B-U. Yeah, I think you have the emphasis wrong there, Paul. Hibu? <laughs> yeah. Hibu? See? Well, that's, that's kind of the running joke is that every time you introduce it, there's a different pronunciation that could come along with it and, and no yeah. one's ever really sure themselves what it what it. Well, they be. rolled it back. It was yes. that bad. It was one of the few times you, you're a company roll back their branding. It's, uh, it stayed in the U.S. Oh, it did? Yes, it's only the U.K. that rolled, or the Europe that rolled back. It's, it's well, still highly in the U.S., yes. Um, one other branding quick joke, and then we'll, we'll talk about video. Okay. Um, <laughs> Because the product that uh, we both worked on was called Web Reach. And there's a British guy who used to say Web Reach, Web Reach, with the emphasis on the second syllable. And it sounded pretty nice. And then, uh, but no Americans could say it because it's like Elmer Fuddy, right? Like Web Reach, <laughs> Web Reach, Web Reach. And our CEO every time would get up on stage and just Elmer Fudd it um, to the point where I would just get like anxiety every time I knew he was going to talk about because I did a line or something. I'm like, my slides coming up and I'm like, I hope he doesn't get the name wrong and then he'd get it wrong. And so I, was, uh, I remember some uh, of those but, you know, Never changed it. Never changed the name. Um, yeah. We had a thousand meetings about changing the name. Yeah. Which I will say, plug for working at a startup. If we want to change the name of something, we just change it. It's no big deal. deal. 
Yeah. You, you make the decision and you go. Yeah. There's no looking back. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So, so anyway. video. Sorry. So yeah. what does Point Roll do with video? And I know you're kind of like an ad network more so than just video, but I don't know, talk about it. Well, I wouldn't even say an ad network more, more so an ad server. Um, that's really where a lot of the technology lies and the ability to dynamically target uh, users um, or viewers or cost, potential customers. And uh, what we do with video now, what I've learned coming from, you know, the performance-based world uh, where everything is tied to results, 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 conversions, 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 and, you know, uh, value per click is that the, the creative is really, really important depending upon the vertical um, combination of the auto vertical. We have a lot of auto clients that, that are very, very particular with the way that their creatives are presented and the way that they're targeted. Um, and this is for display and video. Um, Wait, so what are you saying? You're saying you're surprised how important video creative is as compared to like display creative? No, the, the two of them are, are the, the creative is incredibly important um, and, and, and nuanced, if that makes any sense. And the complexity to delivering a display ad and a, and a video ad as compared to, say, um, a PPC campaign. It's, you know, you're, 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 you're you're creating a campaign that has to be much more broadly accepted between ad networks, publishers with different specs and different rules. And then you have all the browsers to take to contend with and the different uh, video codecs and all the different technology flash obviously has been a hot topic in the, in the, in the very recent past. Um, the conversion to HTML is just overwhelming for the whole industry right now. And it's, and it's a really big shift. The so I think you brought this up when we were talking before. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Google. Everybody hates Google and loves Google at the same time, right? Uh, yes. But what they did was make it really easy to get text ads exactly in front right. of everyone. Mm -hmm. So video, it that's sounds right. like is that's not the case. You still need to play in a lot of spaces to get good distribution. Although AdWords is now putting YouTube, you know, ads directly into the AdWords interface. So. Um, yeah. I don't know. Do you see the doom of folks like yourselves as Google, like uh, YouTube distribution, just keeps growing? Well, I think I think it's very similar to, to to a little bit of what we touched on with the PPC world, right? There's there's going to be a place for different types of customers in different places. Uh, what their needs are and and how they need them fulfilled are are going to change. Now, the problem that our whole industry faces is that that Google is getting better and better and faster and faster with adopting a lot of these um, really newer technologies and more nuanced creatives and, and rolling that out in a really scalable self-service kind of way. Whereas, you know, Point Roll has always had the reputation of like, we'd always do things that no one else has even thought of doing or thought was impossible. We'd figure out a way to work with the publishers and work with uh, the ad networks to, to, to put together creatives that hadn't been utilized before and different ways to target users uh, in, a, in a really, really dynamic way using first party, third party, and presenting the right ad at the right time to the right person. That's the, you know, the industry term that, that always gets thrown around. And that's the goal. Um, whereas search is much more of a, um, what's the word I want to say? Like, whereas the display and video world, you're, you're kind of reacting to someone's unknown needs. You're just reacting to their demographics and things like that. The PPC and the performance-based world is really specific to reacting to someone's specific needs, if that makes any sense. They describe what they want to see and you provide them with those results. Whereas in this world, you're, you're, you're analyzing not their specific input, 
but the data that surrounds them, whether it's their account information uh, and what platform they're logged into, and then what other data sources you can pull from, whether it's, um, I mean, there's all kinds of data sources throughout the internet um, that allow you to pull in real time the likelihood, you know, it's the same thing as that. It's a lot of the same data that powers across device targeting. Right, so your, what's your pitch then? And I, I know I'm making you into a point of salesperson, but so what's the pitch for point roll when you go into like a client who's like, you know, uh, YouTube, uh, obviously it's video, but now, you know, Facebook has video, Twitter added video recently, and they bought yep. um, whatever, Vine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's video everywhere. Right. So why go with so, a point roll solution? So uh, traditionally what we would present is that we'll work with these data providers and the, and the ad, the publisher and the networks that we're working with and essentially come up with a, a solution that, you know, instead of just saying, uh, you know, here's an ad for Ford uh, as a pre-roll to an upcoming uh, video trailer or, you know, movie trailer that you're trying to watch. Uh, instead of just giving an ad for a Ford Focus, Let's take all of this data and say this person is viewing from Colorado and is likely a male, you know, age 30 or over. You know what? He probably has no interest in a focus based on our research. Let's serve him an ad with the Rocky Mountains in the background of the creative. Um, An F-150 is the featured item. And we A-B tested over, you know, millions or billions of impressions and said that a blue truck is much has a higher response rate than a red truck. So we'll put a, a blue truck in there. Um, and then we'll give them lease uh, deals in their area as opposed to purchasing and financing deals because the lease performance has been a lot higher. So all of that data goes into the decisioning which decides which creative to show this person in real time. So that's where kind of the, the, the bringing together of um, really, really good creative that's compelling enough to drive actions, whether it's clicks or calls or however uh, you want to measure it, uh, and, and bringing it together with, with data and then the technology to figure out and sift through all that data and make a decision yeah. to, on, on which yeah, so, and so Point roll is like a soup to nuts type approach, right? So like you guys, it sounds like you're consulting, you're building creative, you're optimizing, you're taking care of distribution. Yep. Uh, yes and no, depending upon the customer and the needs. Um, yeah, it's always been looked at as kind of a white glove service. Uh, we work like I said, a lot of the things that we're asked to do are things that um, even competitors will send our way because no one else has really figured out how to do it. Um, but that's also right. our challenge, right, is that we need to figure out a way to do it but still make it profitable and also make it um, cost-effective for the customer. Right. Um, cool. All right. Well, so interesting. Thank you for the background on point. Right? Yeah. Uh, the, you brought up a few things. Maybe we can mm-hmm. touch on quickly. So you start talking about conversions, uh, you know, that you're bringing in data from first and third party sources. So, I mean, how hard is it? Well, let me step back. So in the paid search and social world, put video aside for a second, you know, there's all these uh, kind of data companies coming together to make it really easy to retarget. So I can find people who have been on my website or I could then cross-reference a list of people who have been to my website three times with people who like, Chipotle and people who are in the market for a new Ford because, you know, according to Polk, you know, their car registration, their car's 10 years old. Um, And then I can go target that with like display and search and all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. Is that type of stuff happening in video as well? 
Sure. Uh, even to the point, like you, you just mentioned, a really good uh, element there. Depending upon the data partners that you work with, you can get some really, really granular information to the point where if you can, you know, not through PII, no personally identifiable information, but through uh, probability or uh, probabilistic evaluation of a user, you can kind of put two and two together based on uh, geographic location, other devices connected, other IDs that are associated. And this, this plays into the, the, the uh, cross-device targeting as well. But all of this stuff really, really works together to, um, to give you the data that you can put really, really specific ads in front of someone. Uh, say, for instance, um, if there is some sort of uh, data connection into a financing or uh, auto lease data database, Right, you could say, "Oh my gosh, this person is probably with a certain percent of likelihood um, on month thirty-five of their thirty-six month lease for a Ford Focus." Let's, if if we have Toyota as a competitor, as a customer, maybe we should target them with uh, a Corolla ad and a lease rate, a really good lease rate for their area, and all of those right. all of those decisions are made at the point of serving the ad, and it's not necessarily. And, and, and that's where the growth of programmatic is, is introducing a whole new layer of complexity and also granularity in, in how to uh, fo uh, target folks. And I guess really what it comes down to is, is, is I mentioned this uh, offline earlier with you, is that a lot of the same philosophy as the technology gets better and better and, and, and attribution models get uh, better and tracking methodology gets better and uh, targeting methodology gets better the the bread and butter of the PPC world where everything is performance based, you know exactly what you're getting. You can you can say what your ROI is with the really high level of certainty. That is feeding further and further into the display and video world. Whereas in the past it was really impression based and interaction time, but you couldn't really follow that um, conversion down the funnel as, as our, our our good old funnel that we always like to refer to. Um. The one point you brought up, which made me think of standards. Well, first, I always call it the creepiness factor. It's always, every time I hear yes. how good yep. we are targeting, it just creeps me out. It's very it's creepy. Funny. Yeah, it's just always so creepy. You know I'm on month 35 of my lease, and I'm going to, like, give me an ad that's, like, you know, $1 cheaper than my current lease. I'm like, yeah. oh, my God. Like, yeah, I'm just so lucky. I saw this ad for a lease that's $1 cheaper with the competitor term. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's the reality of the day. Sure. The other thing that made me think was like, so Google just recently changed the definition of clicks to interactions or conversions or something. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so video is notorious for having a very vague description of what mm -hmm. what is a play, and uh, I don't know I if you have any any thoughts on like what is a video play, and are there any industry standards that you guys use in the industry? There is. Yeah, there is. There's a. Um... I mean, for the most part, we are a member of and contribute a lot to the conversations that go into trying to define these guidelines for things like viewability and um, what's considered a full view versus a partial view and, 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 and how far a video has to play to be considered all of these things. We work with the IAB very regularly. Um, and that seems to be the guiding light for the industry is to, in terms of an attempt to standardize things. And this is where, again, it, in, in the world of PPC, Google was kind of, it, 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 owned, it owned the whole environment where 
they got to make the rules and everybody said, okay, whatever you say, guys, like we'll, we'll abide by that because there's really no, there's really no choice. Whereas in the display and video world, there's so many different outlets and so many different people setting their own standards and setting their own specs and their own requirements. Um, it makes things really, really hard for folks, especially in our position being the answer that's, that we're not necessarily um, on the advertiser side. We're not the publisher side We're we sit in the middle and we help everybody kind of play nice together, but that's what really makes our, our challenge um, come alive and that we have to make sure all of this really, really specific uh, convergence of technology and data and, and creative get to where it needs to go and is produced appropriately for, for the viewer to see it the right way. Um, because there's so much emphasis placed on the creative, the folks who develop it say, you know, it has to look like this and this is how it has to work. Yes, the data sets within the creative changes, but, um, you know, when you're, when you're playing with, you know, 400 different versions of browsers that are still supported um, and, and, and varying uh, publisher specs, it's, it, gets, it gets very hairy uh, making sure everything works the right way. You, so it makes me wonder if it's an opportunity for agencies, like to specialize in video. So I know there's you guys, but it sounds like you're going after big brands. Um, yes. I don't know. We work with a ton of agencies and you know, they're always looking for ways to be different and ways to kind of stand out. And maybe mm -hmm. one route to go is become really good at video. I'm like super good at creative and retargeting across the video networks or video. Yeah, so which element, you, what, what element of video do you think would be the biggest opportunity for, you mean like creative agencies? And to, yeah. to take well, on some of that onus? I think, so for, for what I call DR, direct response agencies, right? There's a lot of folks who are, uh, yeah, they're doing Google Bing, for sure, because mm -hmm. that's, you know, bread and butter of direct response. And then you have right. probably Facebook, and they're playing around with Twitter and LinkedIn, depending on the vertical they're in. If they're in EDU or if they're in uh, <clears throat> recruiting, then they're definitely doing LinkedIn heavily. Um, so... And video is kind of just floating on the outside. So some people are doing some YouTube ads, but mm -hmm. until recently it was a real pain in the butt to set them up and you couldn't get the data back in a unified interface. And yeah. you know, YouTube's got 87 different ad types that no one really understands what they are. You know, do you want the banner here or the banner here or the banner, the interstitial banner or the, at the end of it. Yes. Um, so I just feel like it, video's very much been kind of like, a, oh, when I get to it type thing for your average direct response agency. But clearly, clearly the industry is really pushing video on almost every platform, especially as yeah, and I think as 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 the industry or the the video uh, market evolves, you know, you're going to see Google take a much more um, proactive stance in in how they present that video product to their advertisers. Right? I think it's it's going to end up because the market is so fragmented between the number of video publishers there are out there for for video ads. As that as that kind of shrinks through a combination of consolidation and burning out, you know, as that shrinks, Google will amass a much larger uh, market share and get to dictate some of those rules again. Um, and that's where you have on one side of the fence, you have Google and on the other side of the fence, you have, you know, a, a massive, massive variety of, 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 um, of services that are, tr that are vying for this business. But without that, um, Without that, without that consolidation of standards or that really clear set of standards, it makes it difficult for those marketers. So when it comes down to it, those marketers are going to err on the side of 
simplicity and transparency, right? I mean, we, we always talk about it in the search world where the more transparency you can provide, um, the more comfortable marketers will feel with investing in it. They right. get to take that data, understand where it's going. And if you have to send your campaigns out across all of these different platforms and publishers and, and the data that you get back isn't even the same metrics, so you can't really evaluate whether you're succeeding or not, they say, well, I could invest here. And everybody says this is a great way to invest my money on these video players. But if I can't get that data back in a way that I can at least manipulate it to the point where I can normalize it and understand what my investment's doing for me, I'm going to go with the, you know, the, the just as high volume with, say, YouTube with a, a single source of data and, and see how that works. And then maybe I'll dip my toes in these other bits and pieces here and there and see if it really outperforms Google. But simplicity and ease of use is a, is a huge factor. Speaking of other places to dip your toes, I mean, Instagram, so Facebook acquired Instagram for a few billion dollars uh, and then uh -huh. recently kind of fully integrated the experience so you can now buy Instagram yep. ads directly from Facebook. Um, I think your, your quote was something like, I just don't get Instagram, maybe I'm too old, but um, do you not I'm always Instagram? hesitant to say that. <laughs> I'm always hesitant to say that because I don't want to hurt my, uh, you know, I don't want to be quoted for that and potentially hurt my, my career and saying, you know, this guy doesn't even get it. Right, but don't worry. It's not like we're, the same we're having this uh, live conversation. So. <laughs> oh well. Uh, yeah, I don't know what um, you're no, Honestly, is. I I'm still trying to figure it out. I've 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 given it a a, a a wholehearted effort, and I I just it's really difficult for me to understand um, the draw and the the volume of people it reaches. There's no doubt that it reaches a ton of people, and it's really really effective, and there's a ton of money flowing into it. In fact, well, the uh, the article that we were running through before, where um, they've just come out with a, a few more um, advertising products between display, video, um, uh, introducing what the landscape, photo, and video ads, hugely important in my mind. You know, the first thing I saw is as I was uploading my first couple of pictures, I was like, "There's only square, and that's it, right? There's only that one format in terms of just a user." Upload, let alone what, how does the marketing work for that? And you know, the way I see it, when we talk about complexity and all these different pot, it just adds another format. And the whole reason that they did uh, change to that landscape photo and, and video ads is, is to make it easier for folks to repurpose the, the, the content and the creative that they put a ton of effort into yeah. without having to fiddle with it. Every time they have to go back for revisions and, and, and recreate an image or an ad for a different format, you want to give it, you want to present it in the best light. You don't want, you know, the sides chopped off where that's where half of the content resides because it has to fit into a square right. and you don't want to, you don't want to force it into that box in a rectangle and have everything be really tiny. You want it to be in the best layout possible right. to be effective. Well, um, so that's rule, a great move on their part. Rule number one, marketers are lazy. So if you ever, well, people are lazy, I should say. Pe and yes, every, people, we all are. Therefore yes. marketers are lazy and yeah, who wants to create like a sixth ad type? So like, why not just make it easy to repurpose? Uh, the thing I would say about Instagram is I've noticed my parents are on it. And once my parents are on it, then it went mainstream. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I, like it, I've been using Instagram for a while. I actually like it. And I think the focus on the, um, like the image as the primary driver of the experience is a good one. Mm -hmm. Because I do think, I mean, if you think of Facebook, the posts are more likely to engage in or Twitter are the ones with images. So Instagram basically said like, okay, now you have to do an image. Otherwise you right. don't get the right to post. 
and suddenly your posts are far more interesting. I, don't know, I think that's the sure. foundation of why it's more interesting. And you know, filters made people spend more time uploading quality photos. So again, to get the right to post, you need to upload a photo, and it needs to be pretty good quality. Uh, yep. So it's a bit of a different experience. But um, I've noticed recently, like you get those little notifications, like. Bob from your Facebook friend, Bob is now on uh, Instagram or Pinterest. And I'm seeing like tons of the Instagram uh, and Pinterest, but, but Instagram, I feel like it's going, it's going full mainstream. Anyway, maybe it's just this Facebook's no. like sneaking in some authentication somewhere. So people don't know the internet. Like, what is this? I'm clicking. Yeah. But. No, the, the integration of Instagram with Facebook really actually intrigues me too. Like I'm, I'm still trying to, you know, it's, they're, they're one and the same, but they, they keep them fairly separate. Like they still have to integrate with one another. And when you click on an Instagram photo within your Facebook feed, you go off to another page, right? Yeah. Uh, it, doesn't, well, it doesn't give you the image. Most users screen. are uh, kind of clueless, right? So not clueless. Clueless in these terms of like, they don't even know Instagram is owned by Facebook. So right. for them, it's probably a great experience. It makes me think of Twitter and Vine too. It's like on the flip side, that's where Twitter is like seriously lacking for a long time with video. And Vine is mm -hmm. such a... Twitter perfect format being you know super yeah. short, low bandwidth, and uh, and still their integration is like not good. So Twitter yep. can learn something from Facebook there, I think. Uh, okay, so you bashed Instagram a little bit. It's fine. I'll I didn't bash it. I no, I'm bashing myself. Old man, I'm Scott, bashing myself for not being cognizant enough. I get it. I'm Take out sure your phone. I'll walk you through how to uh, upload a photo. Um, <laughs> The, okay, I, if for anyone who's listening to the uh, recording, so we're going through This Week in EdTech, which is the weekly uh, blog post that we put out, and it's usually in the comments somewhere, so if you scroll up, you probably get to it. Um, and let's see if there's a few other things we should cover before we wrap up, because there were some other articles I wanted to touch on. eMarketer had a few things. Uh, so there's two things. One, I already talked about, uh, oh, maybe I didn't. So uh, agencies wonder about video and ROI. So this is to, to our point about should some agencies specialize in video? I mean, 56% of agencies are doing video. 45% aren't sure whether it's actually providing any ROI. So I think. So I think that's like, that's, that's a really key point, Paul. Um, I was having some connection issues for a little bit there, so I, I didn't get the full extent of what you're saying, but uh, what I, 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 it was, I'm sure, <laughs> but I think, I think where we both agree in, in, in having, uh, experience, uh, working together and, and, and working in, in these types of worlds is, um, that question of what is it? 45 plus percent, uh, don't know if the video work that they're doing is getting an ROI that they need. I think that, that, that kind of, that lends itself to the fact that the world outside of, of the PPC world is being guided by that PPC philosophies that you need to understand what your investment is getting you. In the past, it's always been just get eyeballs, uh, engage people with really good creative, and you still want to do that. But at the same time, the, the ability to understand the impact of those creatives and figure out what that has done for you yeah. down to the bottom line is the key. And, it, and, the, and the people who get there earliest and do it the best are really going to succeed because they can take that same philosophy of if you spend X dollars and your conversion rates hit these per, you know, certain uh, specs that you, you set forth, 
and you understand your margins and you do all the math and you can figure exactly what you're getting out of your investment. And uh, the better that someone can articulate that to their customer of what they're getting out of their investment, the better off they'll be. Right. I always picture it as like this group of curmudgeonly people. I'll just say it doesn't have to be old men. We can make it curmudgeonly. Curmudgeonly old men. (laughs) Smoking cigars like, you know, get more TV ads. We need more impressions. Uh Uh, And then you have like a bunch of nerdy dudes and and ladies. There's actually a lot of ladies also working on the digital side because it's the future, which is the present. Uh, And they're like, you know, fighting over like ad dollars. And then every year kind of the battle becomes like less relevant where like the curmudgeon people get more curmudgeon and like their nice suits are now just like old and tattered. (laughs) Uh, Right. There really is this like battle going on, especially with companies where like you go pitch for budget. You know, the teams Mm -hmm. used to be like, King of the Walk because they were had the big ad budgets to go run TV and hire celebrities to do commercials and spend all this money on brand. You know now their budgets are getting cut and the person who I'm losing your like in Excel. Oh well, you're missing the best things ever. Uh, can you hear me all right now? Yeah, it's been uh, in and out a little bit. Oh, I was having such a good um, uh, what's the word narrative about the curmudgeon <laughs> so that work in uh, brand. Um, well, well so, I will yeah, no, but that really, that really makes sense though. I guess to, to, to take your, uh, mini thesis on the curmudgeons, right. um, maybe we'll, we'll take an old curmudgeon type of, uh, quote from way back, you know, what did they used to say? Like, uh, 50% of marketing works and 50% doesn't. The thing is you just don't know which 50% it is. Whereas I think our industry is really driving away from that to say, no, you should know exactly what every percent does. And the ability is there for you to, to get closer and closer to understanding, uh, you know, 80, 90, 100% of where your dollars are going and yeah. what they're doing for you. And uh, as, as this can, lose. yes, data will win and curmudgeons will lose. And that's why I need uh, to figure out Instagram or else I'll become a curmudgeon. <laughs> Who uses that? <laughs> um, I turned you into uh, not Gilbert Godfrey, someone like that, though, with that bad accent. Um, a few other things I want to talk about. Buy sure. side, so there's another article about um, the misalignment between people who are on the buy side and sell side of advertising, yeah. which I thought was like really interesting. So this is an article by Marketing Land. Um, and let's see if I actually put the quote. Yeah, so I have some numbers. So, so I always like screw up buy side and sell side. It's a very confusing way to talk about it. But so people who are selling are the people who own these websites and these networks, right? They're selling inventory and then their buy side are the people who are buying, you know, eyeballs, right? So the sell side is out there pitching that, oh, you can get exclusive access to our content. Right. And um, they think that's like, you know, hot shit and like, ooh, mm-hmm. you should buy it. Meanwhile, so 68% of them think that's like valuable to the audience or to the people they're selling to. Meanwhile, right. like the people who are actually buying don't. Like they don't buy right. crap. Right. Exclusive access. What they want is um, first party data segments. They want, well, they do want results, but this is like the specific question was like what targeting methods are valuable or like what, I don't know, inventory is valuable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just thought it was so funny. The guy selling it is like, oh, yeah, okay front page of our website and the people buying are like, we don't give a crap. We just want the first party data about who, you know, we're actually targeting. Yep. Uh, 
more so. so. Well, that lends itself to that de debate over what the uh, the standard metrics are of, of, of how to evaluate success or failure, right? If, if you don't have the right pieces of the equation to, to figure it out, it, it, it doesn't really have a lot of value for you, right? Yeah. And it's seriously like that traditional mindset still very much exists for the people selling kind of ads sure. that they're like sure. still selling exclusive first page or front page. Whatever. So do you think, do you think that that's driven out of necessity because they have no solution for getting that data and, and providing that? Or do you think it's just a, an, an old way of thinking? You know, maybe it's, I think it's inventory. I think they don't have enough inventory mm -hmm. so that they try to make their inventory sound better than it is probably. Right. Uh, or it's not converting. I mean, look, we worked at a company where we had a lot of inventory. Was it converting? We didn't want to know because we knew the answer was probably not great. Right. So, right. uh, I think a lot of them probably suffer from that. Like, for, you know, it's the old before programmatic display. People were getting, you know, twelve dollar CPMs because you're on ESPN, um, which maybe does have a good CPM. But you know, then Google came along with the auction model and it landed in programmatic display, and now suddenly the market dictates what it's worth based on how well it performs. But those gotcha. people who are selling twelve dollar CPMs are like, I'm going to beat that horse. Uh, <laughs> well, let me not use animal abuse uh, analogies, but. They're going to ride that horse. That's what they're going to do. Okay. Into the sunset. <laughs> um, um. Gemini, you have any thoughts on Gem Gemini? And their like their whole push now is they're doing native, quote unquote, native advertising, which are those super irritating ads that are like like Outbrain. Do you know Outbrain? Those stories. They look like news stories, and they're just like weight loss. You wouldn't ads. believe it happens at minute thirty-two. What was is that? that how you're you wouldn't believe what happens at minute 32. Is that what you're going to exactly. put for the podcast headline? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, or the ones that like try to make it seem like they're legit stories. like, And then you click on it and you're like, oh, it's like 87. Because I have like a little, you know, uh, tag. Uh, I don't know what to call it. Ghost three. It's like a, a yes. plug into my browser. Yeah, so you can it's see awesome, all the tags that right? fire. Right, so I'm always curious like who's tracking and then you can find out what companies are or using what technology? That really, uh, that really piques your um, creepiness uh, curiosity, right? You wonder, like, wow, I mean, what? How many, how many different companies are involved with tracking what I'm doing on this page right now? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then, so uh, you go, and when you go to those, because you know they're making their money selling that data in many cases, they're sure. selling you, right? So, you know, they make money once you get there by just saying, okay, you know, here's a little piece of user data I can go sell. Uh, but it's always amazing mm -hmm. to click on the link and then it's like, you know, this horrible experience. Anyway, so I right. think those ads are annoying, but I can see how like true native ads, which are like integrated into the experience. Uh, you know, I do think if it's, so I, I don't know, I read Vox.com. It's like a news site, Vox.com. Vox, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, so I read this guy's, I think it's the former Washington Post or whatever the liberal one is. There's it sounds like, about right. Yeah. Yeah. There's one that's like conservative, one that's liberal. And the liberal guys went off and started the Fox Network, I guess. <laughs> uh, and they do it's where like one story every now and then is like a sponsored story. And it's, you know, about clean energy by Exxon. Right. And it's a right. veiled sales pitch on why they're a great company. Uh, so what, but kind, it's actually what kind of longevity do you what kind of longevity do you think that that type of content has? That's the the one thing that I'm always wondering. Like I think we can all agree that like the better content that does have, you know, some real data and a real storyline to it, even though it's, it's, 
it's a, an ad disguised as content. How, how, at what point does that lose its impact and people say, oh, I know this is an ad and or it's regulated to the point where, uh, you know, it, it is right now like this is an advertisement is put somewhere in that yeah. content. Um, I mean, it's, it seems like it's a constant uh, shift from one medium to the next to, to really take advantage of it while before people understand what's really going on, yeah. like crazy headline writing. I know that was big, you know, uh, the past year or so, and it seems to be fading off now as, as more and more people, myself included, see a headline like that and say, I know I don't want to click that. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a valid point. I mean, um, I don't know. Well, just, I don't know if it's regulated. I think people self-regulate. I don't know. If for sure. Yeah. So I didn't mean necessarily uh, governmentally regulated, but just yeah. like self-regulated or internet regulated, who knows? Um, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, those terrible ads still work. I mean, those headlines probably work on a lot of people. The, you know, the got belly fat, jiggling stomach uh, cartoon is still being run. Uh, so I think a lot I'm of these it. things, yeah. Oh, yeah, go Max Headroom on me. Well, that makes it cooler. Anyway, I'll wrap up by saying it's <laughs> um, really last. I, I think you know it's native advertising or matching the formats. So mm -hmm. I'm on box. I'm reading long form. The ad is long form. So sure. I, you know, I might click on it. But whenever I read them, I always feel like they're so disingenuous and insincere. Right. Right. I once I realize, oh, it's an ad. It almost always feels like an ad. It's like tweets from the White House. I don't know if you follow. Sure. Uh, yeah. Obama. Yep. Uh, or any politician, like I'm following uh, Trump as well, because everyone in the world should, because he's uh, crazy and very entertaining. <laughs> uh, but like, you know, every time you read any post, if you just feel like, okay, you're clearly just selling me some message. Like there's no unbalanced view. There's no real opinion here. It's just you're trying to convince me to like believe in your policy or vote for you. That's what I feel about like with the outbrain type content. It's just so transparent. Do you feel like we're... Do you feel like we're more cynical because we're in the industry and we and we see how all these things get uh, concocted, or do you think that uh, you know the That's general true. public sees it? Because every to your point, every time I see a tweet or or an ad, I'm like, all right, let me let me try and dissect where they came up with this idea or what yeah. they're looking to accomplish by putting it out there. What what narrative are they trying to spin? Um, it's like an inner struggle we have as marketers. Yeah, I guess try and stay as objective. Just be a member of the general general public versus a uh, member of the ad tech community. Right. Um, cool. Well, we uh, are already past our time here. Sorry. No, that's fine. It's get uh, verbose. Good times. Go. Time flies when you're having fun. Sometimes my sure. expressions don't make much sense. Like when I was beating a horse <laughs> before instead of uh, riding a horse. Uh, so yeah. uh, Scott, good talking to you. If, if people want to. Uh, get more information about Point Roll, or what is it called now? Cofactor, and Co you can find us at cofactordigital.com. Fancy. Um, and then if you want, it looks like we just posted this week in EdTech, which is our weekly uh, blog where we put out all the tech news so you can keep up to date on what's happening. And then you can join us 10 a.m. on Tuesday if you want to listen to me and someone talk generally about internet-y things. Um, and if you don't, that's fine. We don't need you. We don't need you. We don't have it anyway. <laughs> All right, Scott. Thank you very much for joining, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, Paul. Have a good day.